0: The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution or don't listen at all. Yes, sir. We are back here on the History of Boxing podcast. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And joining me tonight, as he does on each and every one of these History of Boxing podcasts, is Corrales' missing mouthpiece, Mr. Pat Mullen. How do you do, sir? Good
1: evening, everybody. This is a very special occasion. We're going to be talking about one of the greatest fights, if not the greatest fight in the modern era of boxing. I'm excited. We haven't done this in a little while. Of course, we last when you last saw us, we were talking about Riddick Ball and Andrew Golota. We're going to deviate pretty heavily in direction in terms of why that fight was infamous and why this fight is famous and not as famous as it should be, to be quite honest.
0: Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a guest with us tonight. Straight from the TV party tonight, where we discuss Ted Lasso seasons one and two. It's the only, this fight is the only thing left on earth besides maybe his son that this man actually likes. It's this and Ric Flair. But ladies and gentlemen, the cuddly curmudgeon, the casual hero, Gavin Napier. How do you do, sir? I'm
2: doing well. I'm uh, excited to talk about this. Uh, it's one of the few things that would get me to stay up past my bedtime to be on camera.
0: And we are talking tonight about Diego Corrales versus Luis C- Luis Cus- uh, sorry, Jose Luis Castillo. The their 2005 uh, May 7th fight, the 2005 fight of the year was contested between the WBO lightweight champion and the WBC lightweight champion. And, Gavin, let me go to you first. I, you know, I, I half-kiddingly said it's like the only thing in the world that you actually like. But you have been championing this fight for a long time, almost as long as I've known you. I was talking to Pat. I said, I think you first brought it to my attention during when we were doing the Championship Rounds podcast way back in the day. And mm-hmm. you were like, you, if there's one fight you ever watch, you've got to watch Corrales versus Castillo. Yep. Why do you wh- – what is the big deal – Beyond the fact that it was the 2005 fight of the year, what makes it the 2005 fight of the year? Why do you love it so much?
2: There was a narrative going into it um, that you had this very tall, very skilled, very dangerous power puncher who was also very chinny uh, going up against the prototypical Mexican warrior boxer um, who loved to, to just get in and dirty box, get in and fight in a phone booth. And for as talented as Corrales was, it was assumed that it would be a terrible mistake for him to fight Castillo's fight by just about everyone. Um, because if Floyd Mayweather can drop you five times, Floyd's not known for his power punching. He's known for being a, a, a wonderful counterpuncher. Um, but to be dropped five times by Floyd Mayweather doesn't really speak of a legendary chin. Um, and Corrales wanted to prove himself. Um, the fact that he followed through with his game plan and he took the fight to Castillo where Castillo would have wanted the fight to be, uh, I, it created a fantastic narrative. Um, but narratives and what actually happens in the ring are two incredibly different things. A lot of times, um, for all of the pomp and circumstance and weigh-ins and trash talk, uh, what happens in the ring is, is usually very different, um, this lived up to every bit of the hype and the expectation. It was an action fight from start to finish. And as I'm sure we'll talk about has for my money, the
0: greatest finish in the history of the sport. Absolutely. Pat, why don't you weigh in here? Did you watch this contemporaneously? Did you watch it after the fact? Are you with Gavin yes. that this fight is legendary in its own time? This
1: was my CTV for me at the time. Um, my competitive amateur career was winding down, but at this point in time, and we talked about this a little bit offline earlier, the lightweight division was so rich with with talent, and you have these two guys while at the same time you had guys there like Joel Casemayor, Julio Diaz, uh, Stevie Johnston, uh, Asilino Freitas, just a ton of, of great fighters all hovering around each other, fighting each other at one time, and so – Every one of the times these guys fought each other, you had to be there to watch it. And this was really the the ultimate struggle after a lot of these guys had already faced each other. These were kind of the two stalwart standouts remaining who hadn't fought each other. And, you know, you looked at them and looked at how they performed against common opponents in terms of Floyd Mayweather and Casamayor, and you wondered how this was going to go. But you knew you had to see it because these were definitively at the time the 1 and 1A lightweights in the world Uh, kind of almost finishing off like almost a mini round-robin tournament of guys fighting each other to determine who was the very best. And this was May seventh, two 2005. I was locked in. I was not going out that night. I was going to sit in front of my TV because it was just on Showtime. It wasn't even a pay-per-view, so this was an extra treat. Um, And I was locked in to make sure I saw this fight start.
0: Well, before we get to Corrales versus Castillo, Corrales took on uh, Freitas. On August 7, 2004, Corrales fought the former two-time featherweight champion and current WBO lightweight champion as Celino Freitas, who came into the bout unbeaten. Now, we need to talk about this fight because, Pat, you were like, you got to do the homework. You got to watch this fight in order, because it really sets up Diego uh, Corrales versus Castillo. Why don't we get into that a little bit, Gavin? What brought us to Freitas versus Corrales first, and what was the big deal here? Uh,
2: This was Corrales testing himself, moving up in weight, and taking on uh, someone who was at the top of the division. Um, Freitas (laughs) had developed a reputation for just being a devastating power puncher, um, but he was more than just a power puncher. He had turned himself into a really good boxer. Um, He Presented a problem for Corrales in the fact that he used lateral movement in the ring really, really well, which was something that Corrales had struggled with uh, throughout his career. Um, The fact that Corrales had a chin that had been exposed and Freitas power made this a really risky move up because Corrales vacated a title to move up to this Uh, for what he saw as about in the premier division in boxing that was within his reach. Obviously, Corrales was never going to be a heavyweight uh, or a middleweight anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was really his best opportunity to make a name for himself, not just within the boxing world, but to really break into mainstream notoriety. Um, Showtime's presentation was second to none. Um, HBO always had the reputation, but I loved Showtime. Mm -hmm uh presentation. I love their commentary team. I found them much more palatable than Lampley and Merchant and the gang. Um but Freitas he didn't really have anything to prove. He was widely <coughs> recognized as mm-hmm. the kingpin of the division at the time and rightfully so. Um the fact that he was able to land such big punches from such a small frame Uh, definitely posed a threat to Corrales, and much like the Castillo fight, it was a clash of styles that rightfully got top billing on a Showtime card that was a lot of fun to watch.
0: I find it interesting, Pat, that one of the consistent narratives just in this little conversation that we've had, this 10 minutes of conversation, is Corrales looking to test his chin. Um, I'm guessing now I haven't watched him versus Mayweather, but it sounds like what you were saying before is that he got dropped a handful of times by Mayweather and maybe the word was out five times, five times, five times. The word was out that maybe this guy wasn't going to be able to stand with a power hitter and that maybe his team was trying to market him as somebody who could stand and bang with a guy that was going to wallop him in the chin.
1: Well, and he'd also been dropped three times in two fights with Joel Casamayor. So you're talking in his highest profile fights to this point. He's touched the canvas eight times. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to his credit, he rose from all of them. He was never beaten so badly that he was completely out. But it says a lot when you're getting touched by the best guys you fought and they're putting you down every time. And again, neither Casamayor nor Mayweather, as Gavin pointed out, had reputations as true power hitters the way Freitas did. Freitas won his first, I believe it was 26 fights, all consecutively by knockout, um, and then moved up in weight and was still knocking guys out. But as he also pointed out, he turned himself into a much better you know, boxer as a whole by this point in time. So while he did pack that definite power and definitely hit substantially harder on a one-punch percentage than Mayweather or Casamayor did, he was supplementing that with boxing ability and it was seen as a real big test for Corrales, but his team knew that Freitas wasn't going to provide the same defensive uh, problems to him that a Casamayor would through his crafty Cuban boxing and, and honestly dirty fighting or a Mayweather in terms of just being a true purist in how he fought. So there was more of a chance for Diego to be able to land the big shot in this fight should the opportunity present itself. And we didn't know how Freitas would react to it, to be honest, because Freitas had been knocked down twice by Jorge Barrios, but a lot of people felt that was because he was so weight drained for making the 130 pound limit repeatedly that it was time for him to move up because he still won that fight by dramatic knockout. Um, and even Casamayor who had hit him pretty frequently in their fight didn't drop him the way he dropped Corrales and he didn't drop Casamayor uh, the same way he had dropped other guys. So there was the thought from the team that this could be the big win that we've been waiting for. And this is a, Better test in the water than jumping right in and fighting somebody like Castillo.
0: What was the um, what was the buzz on this fight? Were people thinking, okay, well, Freitas should knock this guy out pretty clean. Where were people thinking, oh, this will go the distance? What What was the what was the buzz surrounding this fight?
2: It, it's there was funny. a slight lean towards Corrales yeah. um, among the boxing insiders, and I think a lot of that probably had to do with the fact that Freitas was coming off of a relatively long layoff um, and people weren't really sure how his cardio would hold up more than anything. I don't think anybody questioned uh, Popo's punching ability or his boxing ability. It was more an issue of cardio and how he would be able to manage against a taller, lankier fighter that could cut the ring off and, and... even though it was something Corrales had struggled with, there was still certainly the possibility that he would be able to stop that lateral movement. <laughs> um, and Corrales really was a rising star in the world of boxing at the time. Um, it's kind of hard not to fall in love with a guy that's that tall, that lanky, but is still able to get down to the lightweight uh, weight class because it, it just gives him a, just a huge physical advantage over so many of the other fighters. And we would see the same thing a little bit later on in the welterweight division with Paul Williams, um, just a freakishly long fighter that could actually box. He wasn't just a gimmick. And those guys are always going to present challenges for people in those lower weight classes that can't match up on size. So there, there was a lot of buzz for the fight, but there was a slight lean towards Corrales.
1: Well, and and the, the pundits at the time were all thinking if the fight was taking place – if it turned into a slugfest, it was going to favor Freitas because they right. thought Freitas had the bigger gun and the superior beard. And they thought Corrales' best option was actually to try to use his length from a boxing standpoint and stay on the outside and try to pick off Freitas. <clears throat> and what we see is very different than what that was expected.
0: Well, the fight took place. Now, I just uh, real quick history here. Um, up until the Floyd Mayweather fight, uh, Diego Corrales was undefeated 33-0. and 0 when he fought Floyd Mayweather and was tko in the 10th round, January 20th, 2001. He put together, uh, four victories, a TKO, um, over Michael Davis. He beat, uh, Roke, uh, Kaziani, TKO over Felix and kits, and then a KO in the third round over Damian Fuller. When he went for the IBA super featherweight title against Joel Casamayor, at which point he was TKO'd in the sixth round. Uh, they had a rematch, and he beat him by split decision in the 12th. Just give me 50 words or less on that second fight there, Pat. What the hell?
1: The difference is Joe Goosen, because Goosen had been War's trainer of record for his entire pro career, and in between the first and second fights, uh, Joe Goosen switched camps and started training Corrales. So now you have a guy who has all the inside information on Joel and what he likes to do and how he likes to fight. Now, giving all this information to the guy standing across the ring from him. And it made life very difficult for Joel, who kind of got whitewashed on the cards for the first five or six rounds because Goosen didn't let him get comfortable and be able to do what he wanted to do. And by the time Casamayor got himself into the fight late, which included knocking Corrales down, it was too late because Corrales had built up such a points lead and was able to win enough of the late rounds that the fight shouldn't have been a split decision. I still think he won the fight pretty clearly, but... It was one of those things where you talk about if there's one significant difference, it's Joe Goosen coming over and not just giving him the inside scoop on Casamayor, but really finding what made Diego tick inside and fight at his best.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, Goosen, I think, is really overlooked as a trainer and a corner man. Uh, he, he'll never get the attention that Manny Stewart did or, or, or Buddy McGirt did, but, man, Goosen was so good in the corner and he was so good at getting his guys prepped for a fight.
0: Yeah. And that brings us to the fight at hand, or at least the first one. Foxwoods Resorts Casino in uh, Connecticut for the WBO lightweight title. Asselino Freitas versus Diego Corrales. And let's talk about this fight, man. Freitas really walloped Corrales. Corrales stood in front of him. And Freitas beat on him like a rented mule. And Corrales kept coming. And then in the tenth rat, was it the tenth round? He finally uh, knocked Freitas down two and three times, and Freitas kept spitting out the mouthpiece and was having points deducted. And finally, Freitas said, "No moss, no moss, Pat. no moss, no moss." He, he, you know, Freitas was boxing so well early, and people mm-hmm. t-
1: sometimes forget about that. He was really moving often, not giving Diego a, a sitting dark target popping him with shots that he didn't see coming and shaking Mm -hmm. him up a little bit early. But just that continued applied pressure from Diego started to wear down because Freitas had moved and done that stuff before, but never had to do it as much as he had to do it against Corrales. And in part, that's because Diego, when he did touch him in those early rounds, made sure he touched him with everything he had so that Freitas Mm -hmm. knew, oh, this guy can crack. I shouldn't be here. So that forward pressure, that high activity level from Freitas eventually led to him slowing down By design, in the 8th, he catches up with him and he drops Freitas the first time, catches up with him again in the ninth, drops him again, and finally again in the 10th. And as you pointed out, Freitas constantly spitting out his mouthpiece to buy time to get himself, his head back together, was deducted points for it. But on that last knockdown in the 10th, Freitas realized this isn't going my way anymore and I don't have anything left. I'm calling it.
0: Yeah, but I made a joke in our chat that uh, Corrales is like the Deontay Wilder of the lightweight division, but talented. the man loses every single round until he finally wins the fight. It, it is impressive and I think he I think he definitely went very far in putting a lot of doubt that the pundits had aside and saying that he can stand with a power puncher and bring his all and push the power puncher back. I mean it's it's one of those deals and I want to get your opinion on this where Corral is sort of developing this reputation of a guy who like you know like old shoe leather They'll just stand there and let you like, – mm-hmm. the old Clubber Lang Rocky thing. He's going to stand there and let you hit him until you can finally get tired and you fall down. Yeah. Now,
2: <laughs> Rewatching the fight, um, mm-hmm. doing the homework, I had Freitas up 5-2 after seven, and you could really make an argument for 6-1 or even a shutout depending on which angle you were looking at. Uh, when Corrales touched Freitas, like Pat mentioned, he got Freitas' attention. Uh, but overwhelmingly, Popo was throwing the better combinations. He, he was landing with more regularity. He was landing the flashier punches. And so Corrales just stood in there very patiently. He took his opportunities when he had them. Uh, he didn't let the, the consistent like pressing down of the head by Freitas get to him. He let his corner worry about that. He let his corner take it up with the referee. And then finally, when there were vulnerabilities available for Freitas, Yes, we see the power of Corrales on display, but that's very much the mental aspect of boxing. How much are you willing to take to get your shot in? And I think Corrales knew that Freitas would eventually get tired. You can't run forever. Um, Mm -hmm. Everybody slows down eventually except Floyd Mayweather. And (laughs) once Freitas started to slow down, he was there to be hit. And at that weight class, at that point in Corrales' career, if you were there to be hit and he hit you, he was going to finish the fight.
0: He certainly did, Ollie. Which brings us to the fight at hand. It's a little less than a year later, May 7, 2005, <coughs> at the Mandalay Bay Event Center in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, for the WBC and WBO and Ring Lightweight titles. The match at hand, Diego Corrales versus Louis, Jose Luis Castillo. What happened that it took a little less than a year, Pat, to get this fight in the ring? Uh, what, What was stopping Corrales from taking a fight in between? What was offered? How did we get to this fight a year later?
1: Well, the thing was, Corrales had already fought the other guy in the room in this point at lightweight, who is Joel Casamayor, twice. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to immediately get into a third fight with Casamayor just based on the style difficulties that he had presented to Diego. Because if they did fight and Casamayor was able to beat Diego, then the fight with Castillo goes away. And then instead, what we get is a rematch with Casamayor and Castillo, which was a very controversial fight that a lot of people felt maybe Casamayor edged Castillo on but didn't get the decision. Um, and so Castillo had been established for a while as the premier lightweight once Floyd Mayweather was gone from the division. And he was ultimately the guy you did want to fight at this point to make your claim as the best. So rather than, you know, take a fight with Casamayor for a third go round, they instead opted to wait out the winner of Casamayor Corral, Casamayor uh, Casamayor Castillo, which ultimately ended up being Castillo. And now we've got a fight between two guys who've essentially beaten everybody else that they fought, including a couple of common opponents. And the one guy who's beaten both of them is their common opponent, Floyd Mayweather. So now they have all these storylines weaved into here. And they judged them based on the fact that each guy's fought Casamayor and how did they perform. They fought Mayweather and how did they perform. And they looked at those things and decided, based on that, based wow. on the fact that Diego, despite his length like Gavin talked about, loved the inside fight. Castillo fought very much in the vein of his idol, Julio Cesar Chavez, where he was going to stand in take one to give one and look to work your body over and break you down over the course of the fight. All the things were aligned to make the, a super fight happen.
0: Well, Pat, uh, sorry. Well, Gavin, here we are. We're finally ready to talk about the fight itself. Diego Corrales versus H- Jose Luis Castillo. As I watched this and I was thinking about, you know, you selling me on the fight. I was thinking about Hagler Hearns and, you know, Hagler Hearns, is perpetual, it was a three or four rounds of just perpetual motion. They don't stop punching each other except for when the round breaks. And when you were like, when you were selling me on this fight, that was how you sold them. He was like, this never stops. It is it is, it 10 rounds of just pure action. They never stop hitting each other. But I thought it was a stylistically, it was a little bit different than Hagler Hearns in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, because... Hagler Hearns, they were not resting their head on each other. They were just standing in front of each other, and it was a lot of, like, straight punches and hooks, and they were, you know, it was Roadhouse. They were punching each other around that ring. And here, I was watching this, and look, I I, I no doubt this is a great fight. It earns every bit of that 2005 fight of the year. But I want you to talk to me about, style-wise, why what you thought about them just sort of resting their head on each other's shoulders and just hooking each other. I mean, this, this is pretty incredible. It's just, it's just round after round of hooks and uppercuts. That's it. That is all they are doing. It's just, no, you know, it's, 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 it's amazing. Speak on it.
2: So in the world of boxing, you, you've gotten multiple types of action fights. Mm-hmm. And you can go back to Foreman versus Lyle, where you've got two heavyweights just throwing bombs at each other and last man standing wins. You've got Hagler Hearns, where you've got two guys that genuinely despise each other and, and they both want to get each other out as quickly as possible. You've got fights like James Tony versus Vasily Jiroff, where it's two counterpunchers And it's not necessarily the Rocky type of action fight. It's a high level of boxing skill on display, but still at a very fast pace. And then you've got the roadhouse type brawls like Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward. And then you've got Corrales Castillo, which is, to me, this is boxing at its purest form because you're still seeing high levels of skill on display, but it's two men face-to-face trying to impose their will on the other guy. And Corrales had made it very clear. He wasn't going to back away from Castillo under any circumstances. (laughs) Uh, I believe he said he would walk through hell to win the fight. And Castillo had long established his reputation as the type of fighter that wasn't going to back up from anybody under any circumstances. And so you've got these two guys that are determined to prove that they're not just the better boxer, but they're the tougher human being. And it, it was beautiful to watch the whole way through. It was hard to watch at points because, like you said, it's just hooks and uppercuts for a half hour uh, <laughs> of these two men punishing each other. Um, but to me, it, it's just a beautiful display of what boxing can be at its very best.
0: As I watch the fight, Pat, um, towards the end, Castillo, was it get, uh, Corrales, rather, gets knocked down. was it, two times, and in the same round comes back and knocks out Castillo. I mean, can you think of a more dramatic ending to any fight in the modern era than that? No.
1: Not no. The the, answer is no. And, you know, this is – up until that point, this has been one of the most brutally even fights that you'll ever see. Mm -hmm. Um, Through nine rounds, because the fight finishes in the 10th, I had Corrales up five to four. Mm -hmm. I can easily see the argument for Castillo 5-4. I I wrote my scorecard down, and I took notes through each of the rounds. And it's, you know, the amount of times I wrote both men stunned, Corrales (laughs) hurt early, Castillo hurt late, you know, all these things. Um, Castillo controls mid-range, and then Corrales bowls in. And it's just – it's the stuff I had to write down with these notes. But, yeah, it wound up being 5-4 so brutally even throughout, so evenly matched and contested, where each guy's doing their best work while the other guy's doing their best work. And then finally, one of them cracks, and it's Corrales, and he goes down. And he doesn't appear too hurt, but he goes down. Hmm. And even if he doesn't appear hurt, he gets up after spitting out the mouthpiece, referee warns him, don't do it again, learning a lesson from his friend Ocelino Freitas in his last fight, <laughs> and pulling the same trick out. Very astute, Diego. And even if he didn't think he was hurt, he gets knocked down again. And at that point, you're like, well, the tide's totally turned. Like, this is now Castillo's fight. It's going to – this is how it's going to go. And sure enough, Corrales spits out the mouthpiece again. And a referee, I believe it was Tony Weeks, correctly deducts a point at that point from Corrales because he understands he's deliberately trying to delay the fight to get his bearings back and slow Castillo down. But sure enough, despite the point deduction, it works because Castillo barges in and eats counter punches that Corrales sat down and put everything into. And even if he <clears> wasn't put down, you saw Castillo's eyes roll into the back of his head <laughs> while he leaned back against the ropes with his arms up defenseless, not moving. And at that point, Tony Weeks had no choice but to stop the fight yep. because we could have seen a tragedy played out when you have a guy's eyes rolling into the back of his head still taking right, yeah, punches he, 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 he was because out he's too damn stubborn to go down.
2: Right.
0: <laughs> it's one of those where if there's no ropes, he'd have been down. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. The only way and the, up.
2: Honestly, the point deduction leads to the single greatest line from any corner man ever. Relay it to when, us, Joe. When, when Joe says, you better get him out of there now. And Corrales says, <laughs> Oh, well, why didn't you tell me that seven rounds ago? <laughs> we could, we could, we, we could have skipped all of this. I wouldn't have an eye swollen shut and wouldn't be on spaghetti legs. If, if you would have told me to get him out of here now, seven rounds ago, we could have gone home early.
0: How much, um, do you th- how much do you think the swollen eye played into the fight, Gavin?
2: I mean, certainly never have been a competitive boxer. I can imagine that it makes things difficult. Um, Obviously, but it, I mean,
0: for Corrales specifically
2: in theory, judges aren't supposed to score damage. They're Mm -hmm. supposed to score the actual punches, the skill, the give and take. It's impossible not to score damage because it's evidence of what the other person has done to you. So it immediately puts Corrales at a competitive disadvantage on the scorecards. It's going to make it more difficult for him to see punches coming, more difficult for him to counter punches. Now, this is all under normal circumstances. If his eye looked like that against Freitas... Mm-hmm. it maybe changes the entire complexion of the later rounds of the fight.
1: And the swelling on his eye was worse than the cut on Castillo's eye.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, but when when you've got two guys that are just putting their head on each other's shoulders, I guess you kind of know where the punches are coming from. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure it was uncomfortable. I'm sure he probably didn't enjoy having the inswell crammed into his orbital socket between rounds. Um, but... Given how the fight was contested, I don't know that it changed what he was doing physically all that much. Um, under normal circumstances, that's a nightmare to deal with.
0: Anything else we want to discuss about this fight before we move on to the aftermath? This is
1: this is a fight that happened in the wake of not just the best era of lightweight boxing that we'd seen in a long time, but mm-hmm. you have to remember, like in the years preceding this, you had... Fights of the year from Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward multiple times, Mickey Ward and Emmanuel Augustus, Vasily Jirov and James Toney. There were a lot of high profile fights that were exciting and people were thinking this is the greatest fight I've ever seen up to this point. And for this fight to be what it was and eclipse those fights, and and it really does, because again, like Ward and Gatti go toe to toe, just hammering it out. Castillo and Corrales went toe-to-toe, but there were differences. It wasn't just stand there, I'm going to take your best shot, you take mine. It was a lot of, you're taking my best shot because while my head's leaning on your chest, I feel where you're going, and I'm going to manipulate your guard with this hand, and I'm going to punch with this hand while you're doing that. Or I'm going to touch you repeatedly to the head until you give me a cage, and I'm going to rip a left hook downstairs. Or we're getting complacent. You think I'm just leaning on you, Diego, just to do this, and you're going to lean your chin out, and I'm going to throw three right uppercuts that all land. Or finally, when they get separated, Diego realizes, hey, my arms are longer. I'm going to jab you and crack you with the right hand over the top. There was never a a point in time where each guy saw an opening and didn't take it or create an opening and it didn't work. It's really masterful in fighting for so much of this fight that I think it doesn't often get the credit because of the action involved that it's assumed that there wasn't a high skill level. It was just two guys going toe to toe when, in fact, it was high skill, high drama High guts, high glory.
0: So Diego Corrales wins the fight after uh, that dramatic <laughs> two knockdowns, and then finally wins the fight himself. Um, now,
2: let me let me interject here real quickly. You know, boxing is full of iconic moments, and certainly none more iconic than Ali standing over Liston and screaming defiantly. Mm -hmm. um obviously i didn't watch that fight live Um, get up
0: you get up they're not going to believe it get up
2: (laughs) wasn't wasn't quite around for that one yet Mm -hmm. um but through the years there are certain things in boxing that are etched in my memory um when i thought manny pacquiao was dead in the ring um you know that that is still very vivid um certainly not the same quality of fight but uh, because of my fandom of both fighters watching Evander Holyfield crumble to the mat against James Tony um, mm-hmm. sticks out in my mind. Um, the the sound of George Foreman landing on Michael Moore, that sound is very vivid in my memory. I don't know if there's anything that I've ever seen or heard in boxing that immediately pops into my memory more than the sound of the shot that put Castillo out. It sounded like a gunshot had gone off. Um, There was absolutely no doubt um, until Manny Pacquiao was, I'm still convinced he was dead in the ring for a period of time. Um, Until then, I've never seen someone more unconscious than Jose Luis Castillo
0: was in that moment
2: uh it, it's the most incredible finish to a fight i've ever seen and i can't imagine anything's ever going to top it
0: so i watched this and i was you know my son he's trying to take an interest in boxing he sees how much i like it and he's like okay explain you know explain it to me so that i understand it maybe i'll like it too i was explaining to him this fight i was like this fight was so good it was a 2005 fight of the year and it was so good people wanted to see it again and he was like why would anyone want to see it again because it was so good the first time people wanted more um you know sometimes you as we all know there's a rematch because we have a contested ending sometimes it's so good people just want to see it one more time um you know it's something and in this particular case you know people just wanted to see these guys bang one more time and so they did uh on october 8th of 2005 just a few months later. Um, they uh, they had their rematch. On the day before the fight, Castillo weighed in at one and a half over the 135 lightweight limit. Since Castillo did not make the weight, the fight became a non-title bout. The weight thing, Pat, seems to uh, be an issue going forward. You want to talk about that for just a minute?
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of a shame, to be honest. And it's, it's you know... Uh, Castillo pretty clearly misses weight here. He initially weighs in heavier than a pound and a half over. I think he's actually three pounds over the first time they attempt to weigh in. And Castillo has always been a bigger lightweight in terms of his frame and stuff. So it's not as though it's expected that the cut is easy for him versus Diego, who's now moved up into the division and become solidified there a little more. But Diego had been fighting five pounds south of that at 130. So that was a big disappointment to everybody because the thought process was, one, Now it's not a title fight, so we've lost a ton of appeal based on that. Two, Castillo didn't try to make the weight, so people are disappointed in in thinking that that's the case, when in reality he very much tried to make the weight at that point, if you're only missing it by a pound and a half. He's a big guy. Weight cuts are hard. He planned and screwed up. That's on him, but it's not as though he didn't try. But it takes a lot of the luster off the fight when you have something like that happen, and it's perceived at that point now too that – Castillo is going to have an unfair edge when they do fight because he didn't have to put himself through physically what Diego did in order to get down to 135. So you could still have a potentially great fight between these two, but it's already got knocks against it that the first fight didn't as if you had need any more reason to have to try to compete with the first fight as if you need another handicap against it. Here you go.
0: So the two fighters continued in this fight with the same fighting style they had used in their first fight trading inside punches throughout the first three rounds. Early in the fourth round, Castillo knocked Corrales down with a left hook to his chin. Corrales wobbled to his feet at the referee's count of 10, causing the fight to end. Pat, or uh, uh, Gavin, rather, not quite the epic encounter of their first fight. This one, bit of a letdown.
2: No, and I think when you watch fights like Corrales-Castillo won, there's no way for guys to emerge from that fight the same fighter that they were. Um, it, it fundamentally changes you mentally, physically. It changes your approach to what you do in the ring. It has to. Uh, you can't go through a war like that and not be changed in some fashion. And I don't... Obviously, we'll never know because of what happens with Diego Corrales. I don't, I don't know that he's ever as good again as he was in that fight with Castillo.
0: Yeah, um, I was going to say, I, 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 I think, very much think he peaked with that first fight. And then, th- yeah, that's it. After It's a downhill fight after that. And I'm
2: I'm loath to say that any boxer at that level ever gets lucky. But I think if they fight that fight 100 times, Castillo probably wins that style of fight 80, 85 times. Um, the fact that he got away with spitting the mouthpiece out multiple times and then landed just an ungodly shot on the ropes. I don't think that's a recipe that he could plan on for continued success. Um, I think Castillo probably was a better, more complete fighter than Diego at that point. And I say that as somebody who was a fan of Diego. Um, I I loved watching Diego fight. I loved his heart. I loved his attitude and approach in the ring. Um, but I, I don't think that he was ever going to be as good again as he was in that fight, and I don't think <laughs> I don't think that we would have seen his star continue to rise the way a lot of people thought that he would, because um, eventually Corrales <laughs> he was mm-hmm. going to age as well, his metabolism was going to slow down, he was going to have to move up. And being chinny as he was, you know, moving up into welterweight and probably eventually junior middle and middleweight, depending on how long he continued to fight, he was just going to be asked to take bigger and bigger shots. Um, And it wasn't going to go well for him. So I think the second fight is probably indicative of what the rest of of Corrales' career would have looked like, unfortunately. Um, But man, for that one fight against Castillo, for that one night, it was as good as it got.
1: And, and to get back to the weight thing, so they do have the second fight. They schedule a third. It's supposed to happen. But this time, Castillo does not try to make weight. He's seven pounds over when they do it, and the fight is scrapped. Like, they're not even going ahead with this. And and no one was blaming Corrales for saying absolutely not because
2: – No, that's a, know, that's a full weight class.
1: Yeah, because, again, you're looking at what happened to him in the last fight when Castillo did not make weight, and sure enough, there we go. And that basically ruined Castillo's reputation for the rest of his career. He gets one more high-profile fight while he's on the downside against the surging Ricky Hatton, and he loses that getting stopped on a body shot. Um, But on the flip side, not learning anything from Castillo, in Diego's next high-profile fight, he's going to have his rubber match with Joel Casamayor for the lightweight championship. Diego misses weight. (laughs) And then he
0: loses the fight on top of it. by split decision. And then yeah, it's kind and
1: of been split. He was pretty clearly outboxed.
0: And then he kind of goes and, and out with I him. mean,
2: I know he's not the topic of discussion here, but <clears> any <throat> other era of the lightweights, Joel Casamayor goes down as an all-timer. He was a fantastic fighter. Um, he was, he, was, he, he was just in the tactician. wrong place at the wrong time with the guys that were in the division. <laughs> and I'll say this. I do
1: think he beat Castillo when they fought.
0: Reminds me of the Four beast. Kings. Like, I, I, any other era, like, what was it, uh, Tommy Hearns or Marvin Hagler, Runs that division. He's just in yeah. there with Roberto Duran, fucking Sugar Ray, at the time. Yeah, but, but um, again,
1: that's so talent loaded at this time, like we talked mm-hmm. about. It's just unbelievable that you had all these guys hovering around each other at one time.
0: Right. So I want to just kind of finish up here. So uh, Diego Corrales kind of goes out with a ho hum. April seventh, two thousand seven. 2007, he fight. He loses a unanimous decision to Joshua Clottey at this point, um, fighting
1: at welterweight.
0: And um, it's a very tragic ending here. First, Corrales served 14 months in the Duell Vocational Institution, a correctional facility in San Joaquin County, California, after being convicted of domestic battery on his then-pregnant girlfriend. And then on May 7, 2007, he died two years after the first fight with Castillo. He's killed in a three-vehicle accident near his Las Vegas home. Uh, Corrales' blood alcohol content was 0.25 at the time of the crash approximately three times the legal limit for Nevada. It's a it's kind of a tragic ending um for Corrales. You know, to go from the 2005 fight of the year to that in the span of 2 years. You know, sometimes God gives you a moment and then it's like okay, and now you're going to pay for it until you die. It, it's it's really weird.
1: It's it's one of those things where and it's more in a sport like boxing than it is in a sport like baseball or football. Because again, the onus is completely you, you know, winning a world series is amazing. It's not the same feeling as winning a world championship in a fight because you didn't do that with eight other guys on the field in the lineup with you or, you know, 11 men in the huddle or, you know, you did that on your own merit. And when you do it in such a way like he did against Jose Luis Castillo in their first fight, the highs don't get any higher than that. And when you follow that with the lowest of lows between losing the rematch to him blown up, and then on top of that, you do the same thing he did and you miss weight defending your title against your rival and you lose the fight, the highs are high, but, man, the the valleys are low. And right. psychologically, you don't know what that can do to somebody. And I'm not advocating drunk driving. I, don't, I would never advocate such a thing. But we're not in that guy's head, and we don't know what's going on. We can only guess and assume. And – I, I You know, it can't be an easy trajectory to go from where he was at riding high after that first fight with Jose Luis Castillo, which people were calling at the time they saw it potentially the greatest fight they'd ever seen, to missing to losing your title on the scale and on top of that getting beat by a guy you hate in Casamayor, trying to resurrect your career by moving up so you don't have this weight struggle and you still lose to a tough guy but not a world beater in Joshua Clady, and just – knowing that this time you had at the top is now gone. It's not going to come back. And in your heart of hearts as a fighter, you know that. You know that it's not coming back. And, you know, psychologically can have a lot of different effects on a lot of different people. And Corrales had already been through a lot, and I don't think that was a really great thing for him to have to face reality with. And everybody has a different way of dealing with it. And unfortunately – Diego chose to endanger himself and other people, and unfortunately it ended his life, and it ended it way too young, uh, right. just two years after he had made boxing history.
0: As for the uh, the coda on Luis Castillo's career, yeah, after the Ricky Hatton fight, he wins some, he loses some, he wins more than he loses, but uh, he fights for the next seven years, nothing spectacular, no major title wins, and then he goes out in a five-round TKO against Ruslan uh provide
1: oh provide a
0: call that's right yeah um that's a rough way to go out and folks that is our coverage of diego corrales versus jose luis castillo gavin anything left to say
2: if you've never seen the fight go find it watch it um if you have seen the fight go watch it again because it's better than you remember (laughs) um I miss Diego Corrales, uh, somebody that talented uh, passing away at the age of 30 is just a tragedy in and of itself. Um, As Pat said, we don't know what was going on in his head. We don't know what his mental state was. Um, (laughs) But I do want to be careful about painting this rosy picture of who Diego was as a person just because he had an endearing arc in those fights. Um, yes, he was brave. Yes. He was a warrior. Yes. He was a talented boxer and it was easy to admire his heart. But at the same time, somebody that's committing domestic violence and somebody that's driving drunk, um, is not a, a, a great and admirable human being. Um, but man, what a memory he gave us. Uh, it'll always be my favorite fight. I can't imagine anything replacing that um, there are results that I have enjoyed just as much. There are fighters that I have enjoyed more than Diego Corrales, but there's never been a fight that comes close to that one for me.
0: All right. Uh, so the next couple of History of Boxing podcasts are as follows. We have January 26th. We're going to do Pernell Whitaker versus Julio Cesar Chavez. That was one that Pat picked. Um, and then we are skipping the month of February because I've got a whole bunch of Black History stuff to do with Jason Teasley. So, in, But we'll come back March 9th. With Aaron yeah, Pryor. I'll be
2: the face
1: you,
0: Gavin. We'll come back uh, March 9th with Aaron Pryor versus Alexis Agueo. And then March 30th, we've got all four Manny Pacquiao versus Manuel L. Marquez fights. I believe this is one of them where you said Manny Pacquiao was dead, correct? Yeah,
2: yeah it was real <laughs> scary. Scariest thing I've ever seen in boxing. Yeah,
0: I uh, normally I try to get these done in about an hour. We might have to spend two hours on that. That is four fights. Yikes. <laughs> there's a, and there's
1: a lot to unpack with each yeah.
0: individual fight. Yeah, when I well, before I was social and I was planning out my calendar, that was going to be a two-part episode, <laughs> but we're going to knock it out in just 2 hours. That's that's fine. Um and then finally uh we've got the Barrera Morales trilogy on April 27th. And so my favorite
1: trilogy of all time, everybody.
0: Yeah, so that's what we're going to be working on for the next couple of months here. Gavin Um, unless Ted Lasso comes back with season three, are you doing anything else? No. Terrific.
2: I mean, we're working on some stuff. Pat and I have discussed a couple of things, got some ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, really the biggest obstacle to that right now is some home repairs that need to be done. So I've got a consistent place to record. Um, but if you guys ever dip into the James Tony bag on here, let me know and I'll make Tom. I pitched Uh, Tony versus Jirov. So.
0: All right. Listen, I gotta make I gotta make the second half of the year schedule, so we'll get it in there. I promise.
2: It's one of the, one of the three greatest cruiserweight fights of all time.
0: Was it Tony versus who? Vasiliy. All right, we'll get it done there. Um, Pat, you uh, you and Ronnie got sick of Alexis Hanna hogging all the TV uh, TV parties, and so you're gonna do it yourself. I wouldn't so- say we
1: got sick of it. We just, you know, we kind of, you know, don't like cartoons as much and. <laughs>
0: So, yes, Ronnie Adams is going to pick up the mantle of the TV party, and you guys are going to review Tulsa King on January 16th.
1: Yes, we are looking forward to it. The Sylvester Stallone Paramount Plus original, a lot of fun to be had on that show so far. Really looking forward to where the first season goes. It has been uh, greenlit for a second season, which is great news for those of us enjoying it. Um, We also have a triple feature coming up uh about school violence so we're going to be looking at three films we're going to be looking at the principal starring jim belushi and Louis gossett jr we're going to be looking at uh dangerous minds with michelle pfeiffer and we're going to be looking at the substitute with tom berenger
0: fantastic uh all right so this week we reviewed avatar the way of the waiter uh we re-aired our gremlins long road to ruin um this weekend we, the very last Long Road to Ruin of the Blog Talk Radio era, I believe this was, the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy, just in time for Christmas Eve. And then Christmas Day, we are re-airing our Metal Hammer of Doom. We wish you a metal Christmas. And then, hey, Gavin, do you remember the time you made me watch There Will Be Blood? Yes. <laughs> well, we reviewed it, and I'm going to re-air that podcast on December 26th. And then in the evening time... We will be reviewing uh, Babylon, which comes out uh, tomorrow as this is recording. There's a Stan Lee tribute coming up for his birthday uh, on source material on the 28th. And then uh, concluding the month of December for live recordings, myself and Jesse will be concluding, as a matter of fact, our look at The Wire. Season five, the big media season, the serial killer season that, yes, sir, McNulty, around the bend.
1: We, ju- we just had uh, two stars of The Wire in the store
0: this past week, so... Hey, did you? Who, who came in? Uh, not Omar. Perfect. Um, so, yes, myself and uh, myself and Jesse Starcher will be continuing our journey from the corner to the deuce with The Wire Season 5. And then, hey, Gavin, do you remember when I made you record an entire podcast by yourself prosecuting the Man of Steel?
2: Boy, do I. <laughs>
0: Well, I took that podcast and I slapped it together with the one that Robert and I did defending man of steel and I relabeled it on trial and that will be airing on new year's Eve. How about that?
1: Revision is fantastic.
0: (laughs) All right, folks, this has been great. I'm glad we got Gavin here for his uh, occasional recording. Looking forward to doing Ted Lasso season three, whenever that happens. I don't do a lot of TV parties anymore because I'm social, but I will always make time to do Ted Lasso with Gavin. How do you feel about that, Gavin?
2: I, I think it's a good decision. Not because it's me, but because it's Ted Lasso.
0: <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> All right, folks. For Pat Mullen, for Gavin Napier, I'm Mark Rattledge Be well, be safe, and behave.